and welcome to episode 3 of Cabot Cast with me, Alan Kennedy. So, the seasons are turning, the nights are drawing in, and it's starting to get cold. So, that means there's only one thing on everybody's mind, glaciology. Uh, and Christmas, but mainly, mainly glaciology. So, for this very special wintry edition of Cabot Cast, we're going to go on a cold, cold adventure with John Hawkins a researcher with the Cabot Institute and the School of Geographical Sciences who has been keeping a fieldwork diary for us down in Patagonia. Hi, my name is John Hawkins. I'm a researcher at the University of Bristol. Currently sat by the Rio Humules in Chilean Patagonia. We spent a fair old time getting here. It's not easy to get to the other side of the world. I've taken three flights from London to Madrid to Santiago and then down to a place called Coyhaique in Chilean Patagonia and then from there we took a rather hairy drive around eight or nine hours down a famous road here in Chile called the Carretera Austral to a place called Tortel which is this lovely place on the edge of a, fj- of a fjord um, no, no roads in Tortel around 12 kilometres of wooden walkways in this small village of only about 300 people. From there we spent a, a couple of nights. We were actually forced to spend more time there than we thought because uh, the weather came over quite bad and they wouldn't let us leave port to get to our field site. But we eventually did and we spent about two hours on a boat in the, in the wind and the rain to get to our field site, followed by a, a two-hour hike to get to where we're camping now. So it's been a bit of a journey. We've been here for about seven days now. A lot of the locals are surprised that a a bunch of British scientists are hardy enough to spend 60 days out in the field in uh, such a remote location. Especially given the terrible summer they've had of weather, lots and lots of rain. And we've we've certainly felt that in the last couple of days. That we had about 12 hours of straight rain last night. We're here because we're looking at the effects of ice melt on fjord ecosystems in Patagonia and the potential effects of increased ice melt on those ecosystems, whether it's actually a beneficial thing or a, a negative thing. And we're, uh, we're sitting next to the, the river that we're monitoring, the Rio Humules, and we, we're doing a dye dilution trace to try and gauge the discharge of this river. Um, this river actually hasn't ever been gauged before, so there's no data to go on, so this is quite exciting. We're about to get our first measurements. It's nearly 11pm on the 15th of July. Um, I'm sat here in my personal tent, about to go to bed. I've got a couple of hot water bottles in my sleeping bag, uh, so nice and toasty. Outside is about minus 10 degrees celsius i guess possibly even more um everything's freezing up the stars are out it's a nice clear night last couple of days we've had a lot of snow it's been a difficult start to our field campaign uh, here on the threshold field work um we had a about a foot of snow overnight so uh, it's been difficult getting around um and also very difficult getting our equipment in our equipment is coming through some local settlers. Um, they've been bringing in the kit over the last couple of days uh, with horses. 
the horses have struggled through the snow uh, the foot of snow makes it very uneasy underground for them so uh, it's been a slow start but tomorrow hopefully good weather forecast we have to get out and do some sampling um, we've got some sensors installed in the river which we did this afternoon which are uh, up and running and working so we're going to check those um, I'm looking forward to a good night's rest and then a nice bowl of warm porridge in the morning a lot of people ask how we go to the bathroom on field work um, we don't bring in a water potty or anything like that with us because it's just too bulky and it requires lots of chemicals so we do it the old-fashioned way what we do is uh, we dig a latrine um, a latrine is a long hole in the floor basically um, it takes quite a long time to dig um, if you can, if you want to do it correctly uh, it's about waist height in depth um, and we gradually fill this up over the field season uh, and when it gets too shallow so you don't really want it to be much above knee height really uh, we fill it in and we mark it with stones it's actually a very hygienic way to go to the toilet it doesn't smell uh, it keeps animals away because it's gradually being filled in and it allows the waste to degrade over time in the ground which in Patagonia isn't an issue because there's so much rain and it's, it can be relatively warm. So it's 6am uh, here in Patagonia. Um, we're just getting ready to uh, depart our hostel for the boat. Um, it's a big day today. We'll be steaming out into the Baker Channel uh, in the Patagonian fuel systems, which is quite a long way. Um, we'll be travelling about six hours in one direction six hours back again so it'd be a long day and we would be back late so i'm talking here from uh, our research vessel here down in patagonia the soros drow uh, run by um, the cobas institute at the university of concepcion um, we've just left port this is our final day cruising time we're about to hit a, a station called Site 5, um, which is just in the mouth of the Rio Bravo. Um, and we're going to do some science there. Hi there. I'm Alex Beaton from the National Oceanography Centre in Southampton. And we're currently on board the Cerastral, which is a, a small research vessel based in Tortel in Chile. And we're conducting a survey of the fjord, a biogeochemical survey of the fjord. So we're taking lots of uh, water samples, uh, measuring lots of uh, profiles um, by putting sensors down um, at depth. And we're also taking lots of underway measurements of the surface waters. Uh, we've got a, a pumping system running which is continually pumping uh, water on board which we're then measuring with sensors and also uh, sampling from a tap. We've travelled quite uh, far away down the Baker Channel today. Uh, the weather has been really, really good usually one of the choppiest channels in the whole fjord complex and you can't get up it last time we tried uh, it was far too wavy and caused quite a bit of seasickness so um, it's incredible that it's this calm today but it's great for our work because it means we can get really far up the fjord channel towards the uh, the ocean 
um, and get a really nice idea of what happens to the fjord water chemistry in biology as you go from the freshwater plumes in the inner fjord where the rivers are entering um, the fjord complex uh, toward the open ocean. We're here at our furthest site that we're going to sample, uh, this is called Station 21. Um, we've just done a CTD cast and it currently is coming up. CTD is the instrument that tells you about salinity of the waters. Uh, we've also got sensors on there that tell us something about the amount of chlorophyll in the water and the turbidity of the water, so that's how much sediment is in the water. Just got up on ship. Now we have to download the data and have a look at our profile and then decide if we want to look at any more depths and sample them. We've just deployed a plankton catcher, a zooplankton net. Uh, it's a long, large sock like net um, that we tow alongside the boat uh, for about 10 minutes. Um, and it's designed to catch these microscopic animals, uh, called zooplankton, um, for analysis later on in the lab. So it's just started to hail quite heavily here on board um, Surastral. We've just recovered the zooplankton net. It's uh, quite extreme conditions here, although the sea is still rather flat. So we've just emptied the cod end of the zooplankton net into a plastic bottle to have a look at the, uh, the different uh, types of zooplankton that we've managed to uh, sample here. And we're about to uh, fix them so that we can preserve them uh, before counting them back in the lab. So Alex, what kind of, what kind of zooplankton uh, can you see in this catch? So it's always a sad moment when we fix the zooplankton because that's basically the end of their life. Um, but if we just have a look at this uh, this sample here, we can see there's actually a large large proportion of copepods here. Uh, we've got some we've got some blah, 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 and a, a few uh, shrimps as well. So uh, it's quite a different community structure to uh, what we were. Uh, sampling closer to, to the glaciers. Okay, so I am now with John back in Bristol, back where the real action really takes place. So we've had a lot of fun out on field work, but uh, now we're back in the in the labs, in the School of Geographical Sciences. And um, just wondering, John, if you can sort of talk a bit more about the motivation behind the work and, and why, in particular, you're in Patagonia. Yeah, hi Alan. Yeah, um, so there are a few reasons why we're in Patagonia this year, some of which I alluded to um, in, the, in the audio from the fieldwork. One of the reasons was to encourage collaboration between different nations. This was a funding call between Chile and UK researchers. So um, there are some kind of semi-political reasons to be down there, to share expertise and to sh share experiences, uh, and also to connect researchers between different countries so in the future we might work better together another reason we were in that particular region is because it's very remote it's understudied we don't have that much data from the fjord or the glaciers um, in that particular region as well so any data we could produce was, was likely to be unique um, and insightful hopefully one of the big reasons is because that part of the world uh, and the glaciers in Patagonia the northern and southern Patagonian ice fields are melting very rapidly 
uh, amongst the most rapidly melting ice on Earth. Um, and as I said, there's very little data on what impact that ice melts might be having on downstream ecosystems, some of which you know, maintain very productive fisheries, which local people are reliant on for income. And for Chilean income in general, the GDP is very reliant on, on salmon fishing in some of these fjord ecosystems. So understanding how climate change is impacting these glaciers, which is impacting potentially the fisheries and the marine ecosystems is extremely important. And kind of one of the last reasons we were down there is to uh, investigate a phenomenon known as a a glacial lake outburst flood. Uh, And this is a natural hazard that they experience in Chile and other parts of the world where they have very rapidly melting ice, such as Bolivia and Peru and Himalayas. Uh, It's where they have basically floods down the valley caused by sudden collapses in ice marginal lakes. Uh, and we knew one happened in the valley that we were working in, but no one had actually witnessed this. Uh, no one had taken any scientific measurements of this. So we wanted to gauge how big that was, how important that is for uh, some of the settlers who live in the area, and whether that might be more likely to happen in the future with increasing ice melt. While you were there, did you, did you meet many local people? And um, were they particularly reliant on the environment? You know, for them, was this research quite important? And, you know, they had they were affected by changes in fisheries or by these outburst floods? Was it something that you were aware of when you, when you met with the locals and the settlers in the, in the region? Yeah, so to, to, to get by in the region, you, you really need to interact with the local people. Uh, it's so remote, you're reliant on their help to get you through, really. I mean, to, to get into the field camp that I described is quite an ordeal and without the help of the local people, uh, without their generosity and advice, we wouldn't have been able to do that. In the valley that we were working in, where the, where the glacier was that we were monitoring, there are actually a few local settlers, and these people are very reliant on the natural environment for their income, whether it be farming. Uh, Dom Rene, who, who we interacted quite a lot with and who was one of the most local settlers to our camp, he had horses and cows that he, he farmed, and a lot of these were very close to the river as well. And they ate pasture in previously deglaciated tills uh, which are now very productive thanks partly to the, probably the reactivity of the glacial till and also to all the all the um, rain that they get down there so yeah these people these people are very important to, to our field work we couldn't have done it without them and they're also very interested in it because i think it has a lot of uh it has a d- lot of deliverables that they would be concerned about okay so we're back in in geography now in bristol as i say and we can hear lots of machinery ticking away in the background i even get to wear a lab coat which is pretty exciting this is the probably the first and only time i'll be recording a podcast in a lab coat but just wondering if you've got um any indication of preliminary results or when when you think sort of this project will start producing results and if people are interested in finding more and they're not keen and eager readers of the cryosphere where they might learn more about this project yeah so we actually have some data being generated behind us in in the machine that you can probably here on the uh, on the mic actually um ticking away so we've, we've been back now from the first field season about eight months so quite a while but uh i've been away for four months this year in total on field work um and a lot of this data takes quite a while to 
to be processed and to be quality checked and then you might have to rerun some data but we do have bits and pieces that are coming out um, we have a PhD student called Helena Pryor who's, who's just produced some really cool work using silicon isotopes to look at weathering processes throughout loads of different Patagonian rivers to see how ice cover might impact isotopic ratios uh, we have another PhD student called Matthew Marshall who's been working on some um, organic carbon work and producing some really nice results that he's hoping to present at a conference soon. So bits and pieces are coming out. If you're interested in finding out more about when we have papers published or maybe when we're presenting at conferences or at workshops or doing some outreach work, uh, we do actually have a website that you can follow and a Twitter feed. The website is www.projectpisces.science and we have a little blog there as well that you can have a look at. And we also have a link to our Twitter um, our Twitter account on there. So if you're interested in, in tracking the results and seeing how we're getting on, that's probably the best place to look. And you mentioned there that you're obviously a seasoned, seasoned field worker. Four months of the year you've been away in the, in the, in the rainy, high regions of the world. Just wondering, it doesn't even necessarily have to be from Patagonia, but... What's your favourite fieldwork story? What's what's the hairiest moment uh, you know that you've encountered? The most excitement was it just wet and arduous the whole time, or did you nearly fall into a fjord and get swept away into the Southern Ocean, for example? So yeah, there's um there's quite a few stories we have over the four month periods when we have lots of different people interacting in camp, and just to think of one outstanding moment where which was particularly hilarious is difficult, but. Uh, one that I can think of probably well one interesting moment was when we had a flooding camp uh, so we actually camped on basically a sandy beach which, which was a previous glacial channel and that's about 10 meters above the current glacial channel so we thought if there are any floods we must be pretty safe there uh, but we had so much rain over the course of three or four days that this sandy beach actually started flooding um, and right in the middle of the night we were up trying to dig trenches through our camp to drain all this water out of camp into one of the local ponds. That was quite an interesting evening. Now we can look back at it with rose-tinted glasses at the time when sleeping bags were getting wet and clothes were getting wet and your, your underwear that you had to wear the next day was wet as well. It wasn't quite so funny. But, um, but, but looking back at it now, it's, it's kind of little bits and pieces like that that give you, give you quite nice memories. Any, any thoughts on when your next, next adventure is? When that might be? And if you need a, a field assistant, do you know to carry a microphone around? <laughs> So we're, we're actually heading back again to Chile next year in January, so just a couple of months away. This is a different field site, part of the same project, and we're basically going to a new area uh, in, in Chile that, uh, again, is, is quite understudied, where the glacial coverage has recently been removed um, in the last couple of thousand years. Uh, so we're going to see what the effects of that removal of glacial coverage or removal of ice have, has had on the, on the local ecosystems or on the freshwater chemistry of these waters flowing into into another fjord system cool well watch this space plenty more exciting science going on in patagonia i hope you've enjoyed listening this has been episode three of cabot cast i'm alan kennedy and look forward to speaking to you again soon cheers bye Thank you.